0: Thanks for listening to the Voices of UMass Med, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of UMass Medical School.
1: Welcome to the Voices of UMass Med podcast, I'm Jennifer Berryman. We are focusing this episode on the vaping crisis. Tina Grosowski is dedicated to reducing tobacco use and harm here in Massachusetts. She's an instructor in psychiatry and coordinator of the Central Massachusetts Tobacco-Free Community Partnership, a program of the Department of Psychiatry at UMass Medical School. Tina's work is closely aligned with that of the school's Center for Tobacco Treatment Research and Training. That center was founded and directed by Lori pebert Ph.D., a professor of population and quantitative health sciences. Under the direction of Dr. Pebert. that center has taken the lead to develop a statewide training program for school nurses to learn how to help teenagers quit vaping. Tina, we are so glad to be talking about vaping today. It's such an important issue. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: So it's hard to go a day without hearing news about the vaping crisis. It really sort of exploded onto the scene last year here in the United States, um, along with vaping rates among teenagers particularly that have really surged. So just to set the scene, Federal data from just last year revealed that one in four high school students say they had used vaping products, one in four. And last September uh, began an outbreak of lung illnesses and deaths linked to vaping, 2,600 lung injury cases required hospitalization, 59 deaths according to the CDC, and also according to state agencies. So as a tobacco prevention expert, how concerned are you?
0: We've been very concerned, and I've been uh, really uh, talking to many, many uh, parents and uh, high school staff across central Massachusetts over the past, four year really, but uh, intensified over the past uh, four or five months. Um, thankfully, no uh, teenager in Massachusetts has died because of the uh, vaping epidemic. There have been a couple of adults, as we know. Um... And um, we are working really hard to get the message out to uh, uh, teens and adults, although we do it in different ways.
1: And so to build on that, you know, it, it seems like the, uh, the health authorities and researchers are learning new information all the time about exactly like you said, what are the chemicals, what are the, what's at play when people are actually vaping. So essentially, how does this work for somebody who's not familiar with it? What are these devices and, and how do they
0: work? So all electronic devices have a battery, and you um, turn on the battery to heat up a cartridge. And in the cartridge is a formulation of nicotine in what's called a chemical called propylene glycol. Propylene glycol is like vegetable oil. Mm -hmm. So that's one main message is that it's not water vapor. uh, It's not water. So when you turn on the battery and you heat up the propylene glycol to get the nicotine, you're heating up the substance and that's a big problem it's sort of like using spray Pam on a uh, skillet in your home and use very fine spray of oil on the hot pan and this kind of fine vapor comes off of the skillet so that's what you're inhaling into your lungs now propylene glycol is used in many junk foods you digest it because you have uh, acid in your stomach but there's no acid in your lungs so it's just going into the lungs it fills the airways in the lungs and that's why um, it can cause respiratory uh, infections and pneumonias. And then there's the flavorings. So, why it's been such an epidemic among youth is the attractiveness of all the flavors. If you can get something that tastes like gummy bear or um, graham cracker flavor, that's really a, a disguise of a regular tobacco flavor that would certainly deter most young people from um, smoking, which it has, um, and certainly from vaping. A non flavored Uh, vaping device or a tobacco flavored vaping device. This is a chemical called diacetyl and again when you heat it up then that's what causes the respiratory infections and pneumonias. Now in a lot of the cases that we've heard about of the hospitalizations, some of them have been just nicotine Mm -hmm. and some of them have been liquid THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana and a lot of those products also have what's called vitamin E acetate in them vitamin E sounds really healthy right but not an acetate when it's heated up.
1: Yeah and this is what the CDC recently determined was causing
0: some of these deaths and illnesses. That's right. So again all of the problem is a lot of it is due to the heating up of these chemicals and then inhaling them into your lungs you're not really meant to put anything into your lungs except for clean air yeah right
1: well and to so, put a finer point on something that you just said it's the, the, the ingredients for lack of a better word in some of these cartridges may be stable at Room temperature, but then when you're heating them, it's causing a further right. chemical reaction that's doing a lot of the damage. Right, is that what we think?
0: That's what the CDC's um, investigation um, led to uh, uh, over the past couple of months. Now, um, there's also the factor that because these products aren't regulated, there's what they call underground products or black market. I don't really like that term. Products that. You know, if we've read some of the articles lately, there was a young woman who bought marijuana products online. She usually bought them from one vendor. She decided to do another one because it was a little cheaper. Um, And she was sick within a week of using the products. So you don't know where the products are from. Again, nobody in Washington is in a laboratory testing any of these before the CDC did, I mean, to sell them. They said, sure, go out and sell them. You can, uh, you know, get a license from the Board of Health, and you can go out on Lake Ave and open up a, um, a, disp- a, a vaping shop and sell these products, or a retail store mm-hmm. and sell these products, the vaping products. Is that maddening to you? Yes. It's um, why I've dedicated the last, you know, 25 years of my professional life to working on this problem, mm-hmm. because it's all, um, it's all driven by the tobacco industry. The whole point of the tobacco industry is make money for its shareholders and they will do that in any way they can to get people hooked on nicotine. When the government told them that they couldn't make flavored cigarettes in 2009, they turned right around, went back to the labs and, and found a way to make uh, flavored electronic products. Mm-hmm. And, and is that the genesis of the that's vaping? That's the genesis of the so vaping when did product? these
1: products first come on the market?
0: So again, around 2010, 2010 right okay. after they couldn't get these flavored cigarettes uh, okayed by the government. And then um, in 2016, uh, 2017, two Silicon Valley high-tech guys in California designed the Juul product to get um, a product on the market that was high-tech delivered a strong hit of a formulation of nicotine to help adult smokers quit smoking. And they were very successful at it. They added flavors to make it attractive. And then all of a sudden, it, they were on the market and they were using media and marketing methods that were youthfully oriented. And then all of a sudden, in the fall of uh, 2018, into the winter yeah. of 2019, um, you know, the products just took off. Yeah. Uh, kids used—that's uh, um, when know, we started to hear about it, cards. sort of in
1: the public consciousness. That's I right. think, and maybe it's because I'm a parent of teenagers, but That's we heard right. about um, little devices that look like thumb drives right. uh, falling out of kids' backpacks in school, and even the teachers didn't really know that they That's were right. actually a
0: tobacco-related advi- uh, device. That's right. So. The jewel device itself looks like a flash drive. The, it charges up with a flash drive in a computer or laptop, and once it's uh, charged up, it's ready to go, and you just put in the pod of flavored nicotine. Mm-hmm. Each pod of flavored nicotine is equivalent to a pack of cigarettes worth of nicotine. Wow. That's and a powerful dose. That's a lot of nicotine, about 25, 30 milligrams yeah. of nicotine. For an adult, and it's really a lot of nicotine for an adolescent brain, and the formulation, again, of nicotine salts delivers it really quickly to the brain, and so you get a real hit rush of nicotine, and it's very addicting for um, young people. It makes them be dependent on nicotine very quickly. We know from all the research, even from Dr. Joe DeFranza here at UMass Medical School, that it only took five or six cigarettes cigarettes over a week, to get a young adolescent brain dependent on nicotine. So five or six cigarettes, a pod of Juul that's equivalent to a pack of cigarettes, which is twenty cigarettes, you can see why it took off so quickly and youth we're using a product that was hip, fun, cool, popular, and then within a couple of weeks, they are dependent on the nicotine. Yeah, it's a very quick
1: cycle for many kids. But you did mention that um, many adults who wanted to quit smoking cigarettes did find that the JUUL or products mm-hmm. like it were useful for mm-hmm. that purpose. But um, I want to just reiterate something you said whether you're talking about uh, products being sold legitimately mm-hmm. um, or on the underground market, just to be clear, none of them are approved by the FDA. There's They're no approved for sale. Approved for sale, They're okay, approved thank for you. Sale.
0: But that doesn't mean that anybody is testing them. Every cigarette that is sold is tested every week for nicotine content, for additives. It's all regulated industry. So when they, um, going forward, the FDA's new regulations that we might talk about in a minute have said that products do have to be regulated and tested by the FDA that's going forward but up until now most of these products have not been tested or not tested every week so from one week to the next it could have a different content and the packaging it could say one thing on the outside of the package that could be different than what's actually in the ingredients in the product when you go to the grocery store you rest assured that the gallon of milk that you're buying has what's inside the box that it says on the outside there's no regulating that in with these products
1: so i do want to get to those proposed new fda regulations but um, let me just ask you about something that happened here in massachusetts so last september in the fall of twenty nineteen vaping related emergency room visits peaked and that's uh... that prompted massachusetts governor charlie baker to institute a four-month ban on vaping products here in the state that was a very controversial decision it made a lot of people unhappy I imagine you supported that ban, but is that a sign that Massachusetts is ahead of the curb? Is
0: Massachusetts doing what it should? Yes, and it was a bold move by Governor Baker, but he, uh, under the guidance of the Commissioner of Public Health, um, made a progressive, um, proactive um, regulation that was entirely legal, that gave them time to let the CDC do its investigations and to figure out what was going on uh... with the products and it also provided um, some guidance for physicians and uh... providers to um, see w- about the people who were coming into their offices or into the emergency departments with these symptoms and be able to gather some data and figure out what was going on and then at the same time it really propelled the legislators in massachusetts then to see that this really was a true emergency um, because we've been telling the public for the past couple of years we don't know the long-term effects of these products and we don't even know the short-term effects aside from incidences. And so all of a sudden it increased and people were starting to believe what, we, what the public health community has been saying about these products. So then that led to the legislators being really uh, on a fast track to take up the flavor ban that they had been looking at in Massachusetts and put essentially Charlie Baker's uh, vaping ban uh, time limited into a, a law that would be, uh, you know, would go into effect.
1: And what is the status of that right now here in Massachusetts?
0: So they voted on the new law. Parts of it are into effect right now and then parts of it will go into effect June 1st. The parts that are in effect right now are you, the banning of all flavored. Uh, vaping products that uh, accept um, uh, no flavored nicotine products and tobacco flavored nicotine products. Those can still be sold if it's under 35 milligrams of nicotine in an adult only vape shop or if it's above uh, 35 milligrams it has to be sold in a smoking bar. Now there's about 26 smoking bars in Massachusetts. Uh, unfortunately there's 13 of them in Worcester And uh, so we have work to do to educate the public uh,
1: around that part of the law. And June 1st, when that date comes and goes, what will change uh,
0: even further in Massachusetts? So on June 1st, menthol cigarettes, menthol cigarettes will only be available for sale in the smoking bars. And the reason for that is that menthol um, was a uh, favored Uh, flavor by the tobacco industry that they got through when the government told them they couldn't make flavored cigarettes, they were able to keep menthol as a product, as a flavor. And so it wasn't included in all the flavor restrictions that were passed at the local level. And um, with all of the research that's been done, with the community education that's been done, with the highlighting of the racist policy by the tobacco industry to market menthol, cigarettes especially, uh, to African-Americans and Latino population for years. Um, And those uh, populations now, it is shown uh, that they have higher rates of lung cancer and heart disease because with menthol, you inhale the cigarette smoke deeper into your lungs, you hold it deeper into your lungs, So you can extrapolate from that. It does more damage. It does more damage, exactly. So that's a racist policy now, and we want to address those health disparities. And really the only way to do that from a public health point of view is to restrict the product. We're speaking
1: with Tina Grosowski. She's the coordinator for the Central Massachusetts Tobacco-Free Community Partnership. Tina, let's talk about those new FDA regulations. Obviously, this has been a top priority the vaping crisis has for the CDC and the FDA. What are they considering at a federal level to help turn the tide?
0: So the FDA has proposed and has been interested in a flavor regulation or ban for the past couple of years. Uh, President Obama tried to get a 2020 date for it, um, but then the new administration came in in 2016. That date was bumped up to 2025 and basically was sitting on a shelf until these uh, epidemics started. And then you probably even saw maybe President Trump in the Oval Office saying it was really concerning. He wanted to do something about the vaping ban, but there was no action. So um, the government... Uh, FDA did just um, put into place a flavor ban, but it does not include menthol. So um, that's why we think, and Massachusetts is the only state right now with the most restrictive policy in place. Uh, Vermont is looking at copying Massachusetts's uh, policy. Um, New York State uh, is proposing something similar, including menthol. But the menthol piece is really so important, also because in the flavor restrictions, mint, which is uh, like menthol, right? Mint jewel is a very popular flavor for teenagers, probably the most popular flavor. With the local flavor restrictions, menthol and mint were not included. So they were still sitting on the shelf, even though all the other Tutti Frutti and gummy bear flavors were restricted to the vaping shops or adult only. So this really, again, goes back in puts the measures into effect for two populations of people, teenagers Mm -hmm. and uh, populations of people who use menthol products.
1: And that's what I want to talk about next is teenagers in particular because so much of your work is focused on getting teenagers and that next generation not to start, not to try to to experiment with tobacco or vaping products. So how are you involved in um, getting that message out in a way it can be heard?
0: Mm So we do it in a number of ways. We provide education to parents. Um, The community partnerships, of which I'm one of seven or eight, um, go out and do public presentations. We provide media and education and literature to parents, to schools, uh, get information out into local community newspapers. We do podcasts. We do local cable television. Um, And we advocate for the change of the local regulations and helping parents to understand their empowerment to be able to change local regulations through the Boards of Health. And you also go into schools, right? We go into schools and talk to the staff and administration. We help them with their policies in their schools. We help them with enforcement of their policies and we help them to um, provide a hopefully more um, educational and treatment-oriented approach to when the kids are caught with these products because it really means that they're dependent, nicotine dependent and not have a more punitive approach like they would with a with drug like THC or if they caught a a child with a a more, um, you know, restrictive drug. So let's let's
1: pause for just a second and talk about that. So I'm a parent, Mm -hmm. I find a vaping pen in my child's backpack of course I'm angry, concerned, what do, I, what do you recommend I do as a parent?
0: So I would recommend that you go on the website getoutraged.org and there's information for parents how to talk to your kids about vaping. So obviously we'd like parents to take a um, you know a bit of a backseat approach to um, keep their feelings more in check and uh, be inquisitive about th- the use of the products do the does the child know uh, what's in the products and you know question them how often they're using it, what do they get from it, um, have they ever tried to go through a day without it? And then uh, based on that kind of information, try to help the child get some nicotine dependence help. That could be starting with the pediatrician, um, because certainly that person would know the best about that child, what else is going on with that child. Um, helping with in, in the school environment by involving the school nurse, and um, that would be that would be a good start. We're then talking to youth, um, you know, talking to them about, um, you know, the culture of jewel, why the industry is targeting them. Not a negative approach. We're trying to appeal to their sense of fairness and justice. Mm-hmm. So we want them to understand. How the industry has been targeting them with these flavored products, and that maybe in the short term they're fun and exciting and socially popular, but they don't know what's going to happen when they use it for long term, and then they find themselves uh, uh, not being able to go through a day without it, and then they start questioning uh, their use of it, especially now with the hospitalizations and the deaths. They're beginning to say, "Well, maybe this wasn't such a good idea," mm-hmm. but how do I stop? Yeah, How and do maybe even
1: starting, I think sometimes starting before they've begin, begun using or, or opening kids' and teenagers' eyes to the techniques of marketers Absolutely
0: um, can be very empowering for them That's right, and most health curriculum in Massachusetts does involve some media literacy so we would definitely include this marketing and media approach by the industry as a great example of having kids be media literate especially because Jewel was marketing on where young people are on their phones in Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter, um, not on television, A, because it's not legal, and B, because teenagers are not really watching television. But they're on their phones where ads pop up, and um, that's how the industry really hooked them. So that's you know providing that kind of education. And then the most recent um, efforts that we're doing are to... Uh, involve UMass Medical School here, the Center for Tobacco Research and Treatment. Uh, We went back to them and said, you know, you did such a great job providing training in smoking cessation for school nurses. Teenagers are not smoking now. Teenage smoking rates are at all-time low, but they are vaping. Could you tweak your uh, smoking cessation educational webinars and resources for vaping? So that's what they did. They didn't have to go back and do a big NIH study again. And now they've put, provided some uh, training for school nurses. They've got some resource material. They're going to be offering some webinars, again, based on the idea of nicotine dependence, on uh, helping nurses assess stages of change, which is an old model looking at, you know, where is a person in their ability to think about themselves being ready to quit. Are they not even thinking about it? Are they maybe considering it? Are they, have they made a plan yet? What's their action steps that's a continuum? And then um, being able to provide them with the resources to ask the students, assist them, and then refer them to some of the new resources that we do have that are app-based, digitally-based for teens, because that's where teens are, again, on their phones. So there's two. One is called This is Quitting, which delivers motivational messaging to teenagers through apps on their phone to help them get through the day. And then even better now is a program called My Life, My Quit, where teens text to a number on the phone. They get engaged with a tobacco treatment coach, and then they can help them do those assessments, uh, you know, get through a day, put a plan into place, and understand what kind of nicotine dependence they're going through and get some help. Again, it's all on their phones. Yeah,
1: and some of these resources that you're mentioning, I just want to repeat the names of those in case people miss them the first time. This is Quitting, My Life, My Quit. And I think I heard the website earlier for parents that you recommended, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm getoutraged.org. Probably not a very long trip to the outrage piece for a lot of parents. That's right. More concern, though. I mean, this is so prevalent, and it's... um, it's tough to know all the time what your kids are up to.
0: Right, but the outrage has, has, has happened because parents went to their legislators and they spoke up and the legislators listened and they listened to the teenagers who are outraged by the tobacco industry tactics and they were instrumental in giving the legislators the impetus to pass these laws too. So it's a mixture of concern and, um, that all parents have and would be, but also the next step, what could I do? What action can I take? And there's sense of empowerment at the local level, in their town, and then now at the statewide level.
1: And the last question before we uh, let you go is how optimistic are you that some of these new regulations and, and laws will be impactful?
0: I think it will be very impactful with the products that we have now. The industry is infamous for coming up with something else. And um, there's already a new product on the market called a heat-not-burn product. It's like a combustible cigarette. It, you put it in a device and it heats up, but it doesn't light it on fire. So it's not combusting anything. It's just releasing the nicotine, and then you inhale and you get the nicotine. The it's the product is called IQOS, I which is a little lowercase I, and then Q O S. I quit ordinary smoking. Hmm. They've already FDA's already proved it for sale. And we'll have to see how that matches up with all these new regulations and laws that are put into place.
1: Never a dull moment in your line of work, I would imagine. There's always something else to pay attention to. Right. Tina Grossowski, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Tina is the coordinator for the Central Massachusetts Tobacco-Free Community Partnership and we will provide a link to some of those resources that we mentioned on our podcast page on the UMass Medical School website. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jennifer Berryman, Vice Chancellor for Communications at UMass Medical School.
0: Keep up to date with everything happening at UMass Medical School by following us on Facebook at UMass Med on Twitter at UMass Medical, and on LinkedIn at University of Massachusetts Medical School.